Yeah. All right. We got it working. The powers that be were trying to not make this happen, but we're here and we should be live now. Let's, 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 ver- let's verify. verify the liveness. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do you see it? I, I, I'm, I'm scrolling. Oh, there it We're is. Live. I'm looking at myself and, yeah. looking at my phone. All right. All right. So, okay. anyways, <laughs> this is episode three of Ask a Jazz Dude. They're trying to shut us off, but they can't stop us. <laughs> this is Paul Roberts. The shutdown has failed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're like the government. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start the show indeed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is a uh, great trombonist, great pianist, great arranger, Paul Roberts, even better guy. Uh, so for the people out there that don't know uh, about you, Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I uh, pretty much lived here in Kansas City since I was in junior high, um, with the junior high and high school at Bingham Junior in Southwest. I went to UMKC, studied trombone for a while, and then I went into the Marines back in the 90s. Uh, got out, came back, did a degree in music composition, and I was in uh, the Army as a staff arranger. And then I got out about uh, 2005 and came back here and I've been writing and playing pretty much ever since then. Cool. All right. I My see. Life in two minutes or less. Nice. No, that was great, man. <laughs> That was great. Uh, uh, Lamar Harris just joined. Uh, episode two was featuring uh, Lamar Harris. He's a mm. great trombonist uh, from Kansas, uh, not Kansas City, St. Louis. So, uh, guys, uh, sh- if you don't mind, share the uh, the live video, comment, so we can get. The more you do that, the more it shows people that we're live. It'd be great to get a hundred live viewers. Um, you know, by the end of the even, show, even dead viewers will we'll take those. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so um, you know, I arrange too, so I'm always very interested in one like people's process and their arranging, but like also your story. So, like, how did you actually get into um, arranging? Well, uh, the uh, when I was in junior high, we had a, our final eighth grade concert, and the Southwest High School Stage Band came and played, and at the time, it just like blew me away. I hadn't heard anything like that live I hadn't you know, other than going to like orchestra related kind of concerts I hadn't really seen anything like that and I wanted to be in that band and they said freshmen usually didn't make it so that made me just want to hunker down and practice right so uh, I I just started you know we didn't have the internet back in 1980 so I had to <laughs> had to go out there and just buy vinyl records these things that you put on your turntable and listen to music right. and and so I would just you know I would just this kind of got me in my habit of how I buy records. I would buy like one, a record by one guy and like, wow, I like that. I'll buy a bunch of that. Right. Yeah. So of course being a trumpet player first, before I got the trombone, I discovered Maynard Ferguson. So like many other young impressionable brass players, I was blown away by that. So I got all the old seventies Maynard Ferguson stuff. And and I was kind of digging like how the, the voicing sound and, and things like that. And then I discovered Rob McConnell's big band. Oh, yeah, in particular, the uh, Present Perfect album and the second track on that, uh, "Everything Always Hap- or Everything Happens to Me," starts with these really dense cluster chords, and I was just like, "Wow, I don't know what's going on there." It was, you know, blowing my little tweeny brain harmonically right. away. I was like, "I have no idea what's going on there." I just hear these clusters of sound, and I really that really attracted me to the music, right? So it was, yeah, it was just that curiosity of wanting to to just learn more about it, and so I I didn't dive into the Glenn Miller bin stuff. I, I was I sort of dove into uh, mid seventies era big band stuff. So. No, that's man, that's yeah, sixties and seventies for me. Like that's that's huge. 
Uh, what's up, Eddie Moore? Eddie Moore was yeah. Eddie, <laughs> Eddie was a uh, guest on episode one. one. First uh, episode, so it's good to see you. Uh, what's up, Clint? Uh, Clint Ashlock, another great arranger, uh, trumpet player here in Kansas City. Yeah, I just had a meeting with uh, Clint this morning, so we got some things on the horizon. I got your email. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, as we're talking here, I'm going to ask uh, Paul some questions. Uh, what's up, Kurt Wheeler? Uh, great tenor, tenor saxophone player in town. Um, we're, we're, I'm going to ask him. Uh, Clint says, hello, guys. <laughs> Check this out. Ah. <laughs> there's, there's Clint. Yeah, it's Clint. It's like the weatherman, and we're going to have some Clint Ashlock here in the Midwest. No, right, Clint. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, yeah, we're going to, um, I'm going to ask Paul questions, but at the same time, I want you guys to start typing in your questions, and we're going to try to get to uh, most of them um, that we can. Uh, as long as there's no math. No yeah, math. I yeah, told but, there was no math. Um, even though, you know, our topic is going to be about arranging, which we're going to get to here. Uh, you know, you can ask Paul or me about anything. We want to keep it keep it loose, keep it, uh, you know, off the cuff. So anyways, so got into arranging. And then, so tell us a little bit. You got to study with uh, Bob Brookmeyer a little bit. So, yeah, man, he um, was, you know, one, one of the best yeah. arrangers ever. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, when I was going to UMKC, uh, uh, Dr. Mike Parkinson was the director of jazz studies back then, mm-hmm. and he, the, I think it was the Millsap guest artist uh, that would come. Was, uh, Gary Foster was one of them, and I believe Bob Brookmeyer, somebody correct me if I'm wrong about that, but B- B- Bob Brookmeyer came probably like three or four times while I was there in the, in the mid to late 80s. And I'd never heard of him or his music or that even, you know, the third string big band music like that existed. And actually, right. it was still somewhat new back then. I mean, uh, that com- the, the Bob Rittmeyer Composer Arranger album, I think that was recorded in like 80. So this is only like five years later. <laughs> it's right. not like, now it's like this vintage album of like, oh, the Composer Arranger album. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I just, I remember we were playing Hello and Goodbye, and mm-hmm. it was just like, whoa, that's some harmonic density there. Right. <laughs> and and I remember uh, Parkinson would let me take the scores, and I would run off to a copy machine and photocopy them, because I just wanted to know what was going on. I just remember, like, there's this big, I think it's like a D-flat sus chord, and it's literally just a B major scale, just, you know, yeah. mashed, like, throughout the whole band, and just that sound and, and which sort of led me down a uh, dark and confused path as an arranger of <laughs> thinking I can just write any vertical chord structures that sound good by themselves and they'll make a great big band chart and no you no. you know always use your voice leadings yeah because it, 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 that's, it, it, that's it just, actually the key for everything yeah right? yeah voice leading. pay that's, attention in theory class Bach was right yeah, <laughs> yeah so guys that's the secret if your voice leading is cool like everything will sound cool. Nothing else matters. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, and and even as I my ears got a little more refined, and then I would, you know, and I used to just assume whenever I'd hear like a Rob McConnell or Toshiko Akiyoshi or Thad Jones chart that it was just these big thick monster chords, and then as my hearing got more refined, I could hear, oh no, wait, all the flutes. There's four flutes playing, but they're all in unison, mm-hmm. and then like somebody else is playing a harmony, or there's a tenor sax playing a harmony note against. You know, it, it's not like there's there's a lot more to it than just sitting down on a piano and mashing a bunch of chords and oh, top notes alto one, second notes alto two. No, there's there's a lot more to it. I mean, there, there's an art to orchestration, not just smashing stuff in finale and go, that works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been there, done that, man. So, like, uh, yeah, guys, ask some questions. What up, Steve Lambert? Andre Chesimar. Not a good arranger. So. Yeah. Andre Chesimar from, uh, uh, Andre lives in New York. Uh, good to see you on here, man. Yeah, so start asking some questions, arranging and or other. And go. Yeah, go, 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 go. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's that's interesting. So, um, oh, I forgot. What time do you need to to get out of here? Oh, I, I can get to like two ish or something. Oh, okay, so. yeah. So I just 
I don't know if it was like you need to get out of here by one because we need to get to the topic. All right. So, um, yeah. So let's talk about, and the thing that I'm most interested about is like process. Mm-hmm. So like when you arrange, say like someone calls you up and they're like, all right, Paul, I want you to arrange, uh, you know, um, all the things you are for big bands and I'm going to pay you, you know, four grand to do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yes. Where? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But like, what's what's That's your all? Pro- yeah yeah like what's <laughs> what's your process? <laughs> Let's see. Um, well, a lot of times, uh, like I, I just uh, Stan Kessler actually just asked me to do a chart on one of his uh, songs off his new CD. So, mm-hmm. uh, so firstly, I had to pick something. But obviously, if I already had something in, in my mind, or if I've been asked to do something, which is more the case. Right. Uh, what I do is I first listen, and in that case, like say it's all the things you are, I would listen to, try to listen to as close to the original source material, like some of the earliest recordings of it, uh, you know, like you know, get get a really good feel for the the piece of music itself, not just like oh, I want to write, not if someone just says, yeah, I want you to write uh, all the things you are, a la Maria Schneider or something. It's like I, even if someone says they want it to have that feel to it i'm not just gonna plop down listen to a couple of maria schneider tracks and then mimic that with all the things you are i'm going to still research what all the things you are should be what is the what is all the things you are what's the essence of it you know and find right. out because a lot of times it, when you listen to other arrangers of arrangements things start getting diluted you have you know oh, you're getting it. all this that's my hi mom my mom's calling me <laughs> but um, th- that's the uh, you, you get diluted and you get away from the source material and then you end up with something that doesn't have uh, any honesty to it I guess so, yeah. I, so I like to start with that and then uh, I, I like I do most of my thinking about songs when I'm doing something where I don't have to really be distracted by stuff so my, my, most of my writing in my head gets done when I take the dogs for a walk I'll just go walk the dogs and just you know I'll just think you know like, how, how do I want to do it? I want to do it as a samba should I do it as a I'm, oh, maybe I should put, make it in 7-8 or you know do like a big band version of the Brad Meldow cover or something like that oh, you, know, like, or, you know like there's there's you know and, and, and then and then I might sometimes there's been times when I was stuck with a uh, being tasked to write a chart, especially on short notice and uh, just random inspiration, uh, I, I was I had to write a chart on a song from The King and I mm. for uh, for a Kansas City Jazz Orchestra show we did ago, and I had like a day to do it. <laughs> it was like a really last second thing, and so and it was going to be a vocal feature. So I first had to check with the singer, make sure I had the right key, yeah. and then uh, and I'm still kind of mulling it over and. That night, I had a gig with uh, a salsa band I play with, and we were playing, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but anyhow, that inspired me, oh, that's how I can do it, I can do it as a salsa tune, and it worked out great, and and that's sometimes just those random moments, just just watching something on TV, and there's a a music track that's playing in the background and that gives you an idea of a style you could use yes. as opposed to, or you might just hear a chord in a score to a movie or something like, Oh, what was that? And you run yeah. with the piano. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. I, I have it. I have the intro. Or you call up that little nine year old kid that can hear, you know, yeah, they, the one. Hey, dude, what chord is this? It's a E major six nine flat eleven with an augmented root. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we got a question here that I think is a good one. It's oh, okay. from Lamar Harris. Oh, okay, actually, whoa, that's big. All right, it <laughs> says, "Where do you see the big band sound going in the next three years? Do you think that it'll become a popular again in a mainstream way? How do you feel about incorporating electronica components into big band?" I think it's great because, like, well, like a lot of the stuff that you've done, like mm. with um, All Right and things like that, mm. your charts on that, that that shows that that big band music just isn't for you know the old dead swing era. I mean, it, it can be anything, and and I and and like uh, oh god, I'm trying to think of the trombone player uh, John Ferber. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, uh, he, no, uh, it's not, Alan. Alan Ferber. Alan, Alan Ferber. Yeah. Alan Ferber writes these really amazing charts. We, uh, he came to, we played at the, the old record bar in Westport, um, like, it was three years ago. And he came in, and I, and again, one of these guys hadn't heard, I'm sorry I'm not out there looking up everything that's going on in the world with music, but yeah. he, you know, and I discovered there's like not just him, but a lot of other guys that are writing, you know, like, kind of taking what like Brookmeyer and Schneider and McNeely and all these other, and you know, and if you go back to, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the guy back in the 60s, but, but, but they're just like, even like what some of the more experimental stuff that Gil Evans was doing, you know, like mm-hmm. playing Voodoo Chili with a tuba as the feature instrument, you know, and things like that. Right. I, I think that it's all in the hands of the arranger, like how they handle the material. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't see why you can't have somebody sitting there with a laptop with Ableton jamming with a big band live, you know, and not having to do like a bunch of, oh, we got to pre-program all this stuff. It's like, you know, no, it's, it's, it, I mean, I've seen guys use uh, the technology like it's a live instrument and playing it. It's not just like, you know, I make beats and push buttons. No, they're, they're actually doing organic things that are spontaneous. And I think if you're an arranger, Obviously, it would help if you have experience either in working with that music or at least knowing how the technology of that music works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no reason why you couldn't implement that into it and not do it to where it's like, oh, look, we're 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 an EDM big band, you know? No, I mean you can, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait for that bass to drop. Yeah, yeah. That's that's great. I mean, for me too. I'll just kind of piggyback off that. Yeah, I mean. I think the big band, you know, you're going to still have traditional big bands that play swing music and all that. I think that'll, you know, still be going around. Um, where I'm, what I'm trying to do is, yeah, do my, my own original stuff. Um, that some of it is swing, some of it's more modern. Um, and then, you know, with the brass and bougie thing that we're doing, yeah. two rappers, uh, you know, I, I want to incorporate the hip hop stuff into the big band. And uh, kind of arranged in that way, so it could go. I mean, it could go anywhere. Yeah, and, and we like. I mean, we're playing the, the the gig with you guys uh, last month, but yeah. it's like it works. It's yeah. not like, and it doesn't sound like a ooh, we're doing something that's a cliche kind of thing. No, it sounds like honest music. Yeah, know? that's yeah. That's where you know try to come. You know, you can just tell. You know, when it's like. Because we all went through that stage when we were learning stuff. Oh, we're like, yeah, I'm just going to put my, like, cool... I, I had my Matt Kattengub got to write, like, no big band chart, less than 300 measures yeah. phase, where, where yeah. it's like, if you haven't listened to Matt Kattengub charts, I mean, they're, they're wonderful charts, but he has enough ensemble that you could write, like, an entire album of big band tunes just from one chart. <laughs> yeah. that, that his charts just go on. It's like a James Cameron movie. It's like... Think it's over? Nope. Here's some more. <laughs> oh, what's up, Dom? Dominique uh, Sanders, great oh, bass nice. player, great producer, great dude. Uh, Trey Don- Donahue says, uh, "My buddy JC McSwain used to talk about you playing." Oh shit! Playing yeah. So <laughs> that's what's Mc- up, McSwain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. he's a guitar player. I, I have I have a lot of. Uh, Pictures that would probably get me fired from any educational jobs with him when we were in the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Will Taylor? Uh, yeah, so that's that's good. That was a great question, Lamar. I think, man, it'll go wherever we take it. You know, you just gotta like be. I think keep the music honest. Mm-hmm. That's important. Yeah, like as long as it's like there's honesty. In yeah, it. don't don't do it just because it seems the vogue thing to do. Do, yeah. do it because you honestly want to do this, not just because. You know, it's it seems like a well, like like we always see. It seems like the mainstream media is always looking for that formula of it's like if we you know if we have a like pop stars like, mm. they look like this and they do this and they sing this kind of music, we'll make millions. You know? Right. Don't don't write because you want to make millions, especially big band music. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah, man. Um, yeah, that was a great question. So, guys, keep keep sharing, keep posting questions uh, so we can, uh, you know, answer them. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyway, so, yeah, process, just talking about that. Um, so, I, I noticed, and we'll get to your arrangement, um, 
just like their oh, yeah. use of uh, I'm interested like when uh, different arrangers focus on different things and you talk about like use of dynamics yes uh, so yeah, talk- that, that was definitely something that I, I got from Brookmeyer's music is he would um, and and well, I mean when I think about use of dynamics in music I always think of guys like Beethoven uh, who would have the music build to a certain point and then just drop it out. Or there would be um, music that would build at a one volume level and then it repeat it twice as loud and they'd repeat it again softer. So it, it's kind of, you're, you're, you're hearing, everything else is the same, the only thing that's different is the, the volume of the music right. or the intensity of the music. And, and that's one thing I got from Brookmeyer, like, uh, one of my favorite moments in his charts is his arrangement of Skylark, uh, the, the band's just kind of doing this little bump, 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 you know, it's just the trombones in the rhythm section just sort of hitting these little right. soft staccato quarter notes, and it builds while the alto's playing, and it just keeps building, and as it builds, the notes get longer, da. Da, da, and it just builds to this nice fall, and then all you have left is the bass and the alto playing to the end of the song. And I always love the, those moments like that. And uh, I have a bass Ramon feature that does something similar to that, where the, the loudest moment of the band, when the band hits after a shout chorus and falls off, all that's left is the bass trombone and the guitar playing the melody. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that we'll probably hear here in a minute is... Uh, Oh, okay. Probably us. Is uh, this arrangement a search for peace that we'll hear later, where I do some of that, where I have like the absolute loudest, I get the trumpet like on a double A, sorry, I can't remember who's playing lead on that. (laughs) I'm sorry sorry for anybody that has to play my chart on search for peace and you play lead trumpet, because you got to play double A twice. Whoever put, yeah, they know, whoever it was. It was probably, was it Clint? No, that that was... uh, I'm trying to remember. It's it was the Boulevard Big Band. Uh, it's on. Look at the album credits to Boulevard Live at Harlings for sale on CD Baby. <laughs> but um, yeah, just it's just these moments where you have like extreme loudness followed by deafening silence. You know, and uh, another great uh, orchestral uh, John Adams, the not the president. The, but the composer uh, would have these moments in his... I, I call his, his music, I guess, technically is minimalist, but it has a lot of romantic... It sounds like late 1800s music, the way it moves harmonically and the melodies are very sweeping. But he'll have these moments of just sheer horrific sound and then just leave you hanging with just like one note. And it's that, the bottom dropping out that actually sounds more deafening than the loud sound of the orchestra playing at full blast. Wow. Yeah, that's someone that I, yeah, that, like, I could think about more in arranging his dynamics, use of it. I mean, I use them, um, but not to, not to, like, the extreme as most, my, you know, my thing is more, like, just, you know, rhythmic and Yeah, dance. keeping the nice groove yeah. going along. Oh, John Kuzilema, what's up, kids? Hey. Uh, let's see. He says, what's question oh. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll take john's question and then we're going to uh listen to uh, paul's arrangement so what's up guys hey paul i know military musicians have some unique experience what's the strangest music related experience you had you you had in the military that's a great question john <laughs> well one that was well uh, one that was unique but cool was uh when I was in the Marines, I was in the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing Band, which was at uh, El Toro, California. That base is closed down now. I think that's where they do the top speed TV show now. They run around on the runways. Anyhow, so we were always, whenever Hollywood wanted to do something involving the Marines, or, or like a band, you know, the Marine bands had to be in a movie. Usually our band would. So, like, if you watch the movie Clear and Present Danger, that's our band greeting uh, whoever it was that played the president in that movie oh, coming cool. on the thing. And then uh, and then I actually played on the soundtrack to uh, The American President. Oh, nice. There was, uh, there was a scene when they're 
uh, having a ballroom dance and we went into the studio to uh, our combo went in and I think it was Mark Shaman did the soundtrack and there was actually something wrong with the, uh, the, the piano part. So I actually got to help Mark Shaman rewrite the piano part <laughs> to make it work. So, so I, so I co-wrote a score for a major motion picture with Mark yeah. Shaman. Get that film score money, man. <laughs> right. Film score money. But, uh, no, so that was... Harrison Ford, he says. Harrison Ford. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thank you. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> man, that'd be actually a great segment to do, like, uh, in this show. Uh, you just gave me a great idea, John. But, like, story, story from the road or, like, or, like, you know, crazy weird musical experience. Man, uh, Jeff Harshbarger, uh, man, he's got some great stories from uh, being on the road and just like crazy stuff happening on gigs. Uh, so definitely going to have Jeff on here uh, soon. And John, you know you're you're more than welcome to come on here and talk about some drum stuff. All right, so uh, keep the questions coming. Um, we're going to now uh, play an arrangement since our topic is arranging. Uh, we're going to play an arrangement from. Uh, Paul here, uh, McCoy Turner's Search for Peace, a great tune. I played that on my uh, either junior or senior recital um, when I was in college. Great, great tune. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about the arrangement, and we'll get into it. Yeah, I, I bought uh, – I, I was just getting into McCoy Tyner, and I bought uh, the album The Real McCoy, which is what that uh, song's on. And I just remember – Listen, you know, I'd listen to the whole CD, and I'd always find myself going back and re-listening to that track first before I would listen to anything else. And I just remember, um, just I don't know, there's something about that song. You just like write an arrangement or something. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I heard it. You know, it was, it was Joe Henderson on the album, and mm -hmm. you know, I just like. You know that you know that smoky tenor sound he has. <laughs> I'm just like, man, I got to write this like as a tenor feature. So uh, I was playing with the uh, uh, Third Marine Aircraft Wing Jazz Band. I wasn't actually a Marine musician at the time. I was right. just uh, playing with them. I was actually an aviation electronics technician on Super Stallion CH-53s helicopters. What? Yeah. So man, you have so many talents <laughs> I don't know about. <laughs> well, I thought at the time it was like, hey, being an aviation electronics technician pays better than being a musician. <laughs> right. But right. I ended up, I couldn't stand doing the job after a couple of years, so I transferred to the band. Anyhow, when I would walk around on the flight line at night, um, I'd have a lot of just time to myself. And just like walking the dog, I would search for peace just running through my head. Not like with headphones on, but just in my little, my the iPod in my brain just running the tune. And I'm running it as a big band feature. And so that's kind of, I basically wrote the song walking around at like two or three in the morning on a dark flight line in Tustin, California. Nice. Uh, you know, just mulling it. And, and that was the thing. I, I, I've learned that when you arrange stuff, don't just like plop down, fire up for now. All right, here we go. You know, and just like, if, and if you don't already have the thing kind of worked out to some, to some degree in your head, I've done a lot of times where I'm rushed to write something and I just sit there and I start pounding something out and I always end up rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. Yeah. And if I just simply spend a couple hours with the dogs on Paseo, that, that eliminates a lot of the rewriting. I get the, the, the drafts knocked out of my head. And, and some people are like, oh, you should always carry something to record audio with you. So if you have an idea, you can sing it. And then I've learned that all the good ideas stay in your head. If you think of something and then you sit down later and you can't remember it, it was probably a crappy idea anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I, no, I don't worry about recording everything that pops into my brain because I, I don't want to record everything that pops into my brain. Right. But anyhow, that, that was the process with this tune. Is, is, you know, and, and I was much slower at writing charts back then. I, I was still you know, kind of – I'd only written maybe like a dozen charts by this time. So this yeah. was – still kind of a, it was one of those things I didn't do all the time. It was just like, I think I'll write a big band chart, you know, and then like three months later. Whew, there it yeah, is. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great, man. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Just like not forcing it. Yeah. You have to get in times where 
you know, you might, like you said, I need a big man chart tomorrow. Yeah. Oh. And then you just have to like use the things that you know will work. And, but like, yeah, just getting familiar with the song and then like letting it happen like in your mind first. Right. And for you that are like just starting out, I would even recommend, I don't do this anymore, but I used to do it when I was, you know, like thinking or conceiving an arrangement in my mind, I would literally write like a sketch outline yeah. of like, okay, intro. I still do I that want, sometimes. Yeah, I want like, you know, melody, second time counter melody. A blueprint. Yeah, like a, yeah, because it keeps you from rambling on in your arrangement, like kind of what I'm doing right now. And it also <laughs> keeps you from uh, uh, finding yourself going into tropes that are yeah. like overdone, like, like, you know, here's your stock big band chart, intro, melody, second time melody with backgrounds, mm-hmm. uh, send-off, solo, background, sax soli, second solo, background, shout section, mm-hmm. uh, quick drum fill for eight bars, go back to the top, coda. There's your, and then there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's your, like, yeah. standard big band chart yeah. template. All right, so this, uh, just want to say what's up to a couple people. What's up, Ben? Lifer, Chris Hazelton. Oh. <laughs> Uh, oh, that was funny that you did. We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, We're actually going to play that Tuesday. <laughs> uh, Robert Castillo, what's up? Deidre Griffin, uh, actually a good guy. He's from my hometown. We went to high school together. Uh, Nathaniel Banton, what's up? Tony Thompson, what's up? Charlie Serpa, what's up? All the way from St. Louis. Good to see you guys. So this is uh, Paul, Paul's arrangement for Big Band of McCoy Tyner's Search for Peace featuring Pete Chrisley. Pete Chrisley from the old Tonight Show. All right, here we go. Uh, you also played the saxo on Deacon Blues. Cool. So uh, <laughs> comment comment uh, about the arrangement, things you like, things you're going to love it, so I know you're not going to say anything bad. Uh, uh, yeah. So, I might. <laughs> yeah. So here we go, and then we'll talk about it. Maybe. Maybe.
All right, we're back. Uh, yeah, Clint. I yeah, think I think that was Danny. We, we were just talking about uh, the lead chuckle oh. there. Yeah, we probably. Yeah, no. Okay, we drank too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, beautiful arrangement, man. Um, like a, a nice pacing to it. The, the band dropping out at the end was really great, and the build up. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, once again, if you're just joining in, this is Paul Roberts. So uh, we just checked out his arrangement. Um, so any other questions? Because it's about time to wrap up. Oh, looks like we do have a question. Let's say uh, it's about time to wrap uh, wrap it up. But oh, it's a great question. Will Taylor, let's bring that in. How do you know what instruments to assign parts? Is it done by range only? Do you write from piano from a melody? Where can you purchase that arrangement? No. <laughs> oh, if you have Venmo or PayPal, yeah. <laughs> no, um, yeah, and, and unfortunately, I haven't been proactive about getting anything published, so I don't have anything actually like published. But uh, contact me, I can always squirt you a PDF of it or something. But yeah, uh, what's that? What's 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 your uh, email, Paul? Uh, that's uh, Casey Jazz Keys. Casey Jazz Keys at Gmail. I like to spend lots of money on my domain stuff. <laughs> All right, there it is. So Will Taylor, get with Paul. There's the email. We'll leave. We'll leave that up over here. Um, <laughs> so, oh, okay. So, uh, how, uh, well, a lot of it is the again the color, like the the what sound do I want? And again, a lot, like I said, one of my early influences in listening to big band was Rob McConnell and. If you listen to that middle period of McConnell's album, like mm. you know, he kind of had his early period in the '60s and like mid late '70s to the through the '80s when he was with uh, the Pausa label. That's kind of his middle period. And then he went to Concord towards the end right. in the late '80s and the '90s. But uh, all that stuff, like uh, Big Band Jazz Volume One and Two, again Volume One and Two, Present Perfect Tribute, all those albums are immaculately recorded. Although I hate the way the drums drum sound, so rock and roll drum set. That's uh, my producer ears complaining. Uh, but uh, the sound is like the, the the intonation is immaculate for the most part. There's a couple where Arnie Tchaikovsky's lead trumpet's a little sharp, but um, it's you hear all these sounds, and again, that comes from. Uh, the best way to learn how to do that is if you hear a, an arrangement like the way he arranged Smoke Gets In Your Eyes, and you're like, wow, I really like that sound. What are those instruments? Well, get the score to Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. Look at it, kind of learn. Oh, okay, two flutes, a clarinet, a tenor sax, and a bass clarinet. Okay, I'll memorize that sound for this particular sound. And you know, same thing with like orchestra. Orchestral woodwind arrangements. I mean, there's so many combinations. You have a flute and the oboe, the flute and the clarinet, the flute and the clarinet and the oboe. You have like all these combinations, and they all sound different. So that's part of it is the color, and then of course, uh, range issues are dependent upon who I'm writing for. When I'm writing stuff for the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra, it's pretty much the same guys in that band, and I've played with and and have written enough things for I know what what's a good thing to write. To, you know, and, and I don't like to just write things like, oh, I'm going to write a super high note because so-and-so can play a super high note or whatever. Because then you start writing things, again, that lack honesty toward yeah. the music. You're just writing a gimmick thing for somebody to play a triple C or something like that. You want to write things that support the music in a, in a productive way. But uh, picking your ranges should really be, I mean... If you don't know, if you don't, if you're just writing a chart and you're not writing it for a specific group, you want to be, you know, there's some safe things like don't, you know, if it's a pro band, I wouldn't write unless you know the trumpet players, maybe not write anything above a, a double G, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, you know, depend on what the bass bone player can do, you might not write something that bounces around a lot in the, in the pedal register. And then same with, you know, the trombone, I wouldn't write stuff that goes lead bones above a high B flat, you know, just, just kind of common sense things that if you look at charts, I mean, like, get a bunch of Thad Jones charts, get a bunch of, you know, and, you know, and those are going to be 
guys pushing the limits in some cases, but you'll get an idea of what a really good pro band can and can't play. Right. You know, and that's the, the, the thing. You don't want to just like, oh, let me look at some Jensen education, you know, level four big band tunes and think, oh, okay, so nothing above a high F for trombones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, who somebody who's really great at that um, is uh, Sammy Nestico. Yeah. Like, writing stuff that, like, was in the meat of instrument. That, that's arranged. a good, yeah, that's a good, yeah, get some Nestico bassy charts. That, <laughs> yeah. That's a good uh, range template, like, you know, like, like, survey, you know, like, the. You know, I remember in music ed classes, we would look at the look at the piece of music and we'd write what's the highest note the trumpet play what's the lowest note the trumpet plays and take an average and you know that's how we based our difficulty score for the, what the piece was was based on besides rhythmic difficulty and things and harmonic and then you also have to worry about your harmonic density harmonic density is how many notes you have in a certain range and uh you know if you have a lot of uh, one one thing you want to watch out for, and this affects the color, is say you want to write like a really dense. I just recently found a transcription of Jacob Collier's version of Georgia, and I thought let's try this with a big band and see if it works. Mm. And I, the first draft of it, which we played, I guess it was last week. Uh, I didn't really do a lot of restructuring to it. I just kind of wanted let's just throw it in the finale and not do too much with it, see if it works. And it, for the most part, did. I know I could fix some things, but he has things where he literally has like an entire major scale. And you don't want to do like these four notes in the trombones, these four notes in the sax is sitting on top. You want to kind of over interlock them a little bit. First of all, instead of having like C, D, E, F, you get C, E, G, B, and then you got D, F, A, C. So you get the sax is playing a D minor 7 chord, the trombone playing a C major 7. Within the sections, they can hear that and tune it better. And then when you hear them together, you still get that, you know, just imagine yeah. all the white keys on the piano down sound, but it's easier for them to play. That's that's the that's the tricky thing is not coming up with interesting and clever things to write, but writing it so that it will result in a successful performance because you can... You can write even the simplest thing, and if you write it really badly, it's going to sound badly. I'm bad. I'm very bad about that. Don't take my advice. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the stuff I write is hard to play. <laughs> well, well, even McConnell stuff. Yeah. I remember like Rob McConnell stuff when we you would play it with like a reading big band, you know, just like right. a Tuesday night band or something like that. It it often, unless the band has played it numerous times doesn't come off that easily you got to kind of work unless you play a lot of mcconnell stuff it, it sort of is not uh user friendly i guess would be a way to describe it mike corrigan goes what instruments would be a good vo to voice around a bebop backpipe solo <laughs> he's like dude georgia would be a great tune to feature pipes come on paul make it happen oh wait. if anybody could <laughs> paul could <laughs> what are pipes like? Is it like an A mixolydian scale or something? I can't remember what pipes. Yeah, I, I, have no I, I had a friend of mine that played pipes in a military band, and I was asking him out of curiosity once what the scale was. Man, I yeah, there was a voicing that uh, that uh, uh, Thad Jones. Cause Thad Jones is like for me, yeah, like you know, the sax writing, like, yeah, it's crazy. I got a lot of stuff from Thad, and it was uh, on a dominant chord. I uh, was the tune. Yeah, and man, like I never would have thought of this, but he basically voiced that the part where it's like, right. and it's like the diminished scale. He voices every note right. in a diminished scale for a dominant chord. It's like, yeah, you when you play on a dominant, you can play the diminished scale, so why not have that as a voicing? And it's like, the way he he constructed it was, it, it was yeah, because you, you essentially because the diminished scale or the octatonic one or two whatever version it is uh, is essentially two fully diminished chords offset by a half step. Yeah, so yeah. you literally could have like one group of four guys play like C E flat G flat A, and then somebody else play like uh, C sharp E G A sharp. You know, and and have those have all eight notes of the scale. But again, because they're just sounds like we're playing a fully diminished choo-choo train chord, and we're just playing a fully diminished chord up here, but they're offset by a half step, and that, and that yeah, works. Yeah, that's exactly how he did it. In the trumpets, he voiced one diminished chord. Sax is another one. Yeah. And then he linked it with the trombone, like a trombone, like a, a sharp nine, flat nine voice, and then trombone or whatever. You know, it was like, uh, 
so it's cool. I was like, yeah, you can use scale voicings. That's yeah. I've done some fun like when I just wanted like a big kind of polychord blah thing. Like I had trumpets playing like an A add nine, and then the saxes were playing like a B flat major seven, and then the trombones are playing some other like by themselves. They're like you know, it's very kind of a uh, oh the. Oh, the guy that wrote a lot of the music, it was in 2001, somebody, Ligeti, uh, very, like, sound clouds, clouds of harmonic sound that, that in their own little spaces just make perfect sense, but you mash them all together, and it's just like dumping all the paint in a bucket at the same time, you right. know, it swirl, swirls up, but, uh, and, and then, uh, oh, what was it, uh, yeah, and then also doing that with uh, very thin chords, like, uh, on the, my, chart on Stablemate has a spot where it's, it's basically a C dominant chord going to an F minor thing and I wanted this I've always loved, uh, Randy Brecker does this with his harmonic palettes where he takes simple triads and puts them against bass notes that don't match and so you'll have like a an A major triad over a C bass and that's like this dissonant sound because you got the C sharp and the C, but if you think about it functionally, what you're getting is you're getting the thirteenth, the flat nine, and the third. So he's basically playing a, a, a government cheese version of a C thirteen flat nine. There's no fifth, and there's no seven, but it, but you get that pure A major sound, but then you have this. Ominous sounding C, but then it resolves to the F minor chord. So, and, and I've even I've read some things like even guys like you know like Jacob Collier that do these ridiculous mashes of chords. Uh, his some of his thought process is he'll find a a leading tone, and he sort of sets that as the target. Like I want to end on this E, so he makes the top line work for this. Everything else is going on and is just sort of this. And if you follow your voice leanings, uh, you can make that work. If you just mash a bunch of random chords and your top note works, that's not enough. You have to have uh, either like, that's the only thing, I uh, so sometimes with Jacob's stuff, I think his bass lines are a little too random. Yeah. I, I like to have, especially if you have something uh, going exploding harmonically uh, the chart I did on uh, In a Sentimental Mood the lead trumpet's going up the bass is going down Yeah, and, and then and you're going from like a tighter voicing to more more notes and more spread voicing and it gets a bigger sound and especially if you voice your chords I mean that's part of the problem of taking something like a vocal thing like the collier thing and throwing it into a big band is you know you can I used to run into this problem sitting on the roads. I can sit there and play all these cluster chords on the roads when I would compose when I was mm. in my twenties, and everything sounded great because a you can you know you can drop your cat on the roads and it sounds great because it's it's just yeah. the sound of the instrument yeah. makes anything blend. But you know brass instruments and the saxes they have all these overtones that ring out, and when you start playing these cluster chords, all those overtones get screwed up, and it just it makes pitch and everything just sounds bad or it gets a harsh sound. So you really have to make sure that you're, you know, like, you know, like, uh, like, you don't want to put dissonant intervals other than maybe a minor second. You don't want to have a bunch of minor seconds all next to each other in yeah. your voicings. It causes problems or really wide intervals. Uh, I learned a valuable lesson like a voicing an F major seven in the trombones. Don't go F E and then. A C because that F to E between the it sounds fine when you play it on a piano. But, man, you'd be the third trombone player sitting next to a bass trombone player who's laying an F down, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the only way I would use that, like, you know, you, yeah, if you put it up that far, yeah, that's like, it's going to be weird. You know, sometimes if I want like a pop, like a, a punchy voicing, right. like I'll put the E and the F next to each other, and then the A and exactly. C above that, just like a, like a, but for an effect, like a dense, uh, yeah, yeah, and especially for like a one chord whap, that's yeah. awesome. But yeah. but if you have like a evolving yeah. series of chords, you yeah. gotta you, you can and and again, I, I was when I first listened to a lot of music, I, I'm I'm always like I'll hear like a chord and just like wow, I love that 
I mean, my brain will just like isolate everything else from mm. that recording and just that one chord. That's, that's gorgeous. I love that. And I used to write like that. I would just, in all my big band arrangements were just a series of wow chords. Mm. But, you know, and then, and then they wouldn't connect well. Or sometimes I would like, I would start off, I want to have this chord to start and eventually I want to end up on this chord. And then I'd have to play. It, it was kind of like, uh, you know, when you take like music classes and you have to write like counterpoint or in the style of Bach with all your part writing mm. you play right okay here's my authentic cadence okay got that yeah. and here's this thing in the middle I gotta watch and, then, and you're like it, it, it becomes you're not composing anymore you feel like you're doing like Sudoku or something like that you're trying to do the, yeah. do the math to, to fill in the gaps and that's that's not writing yeah it's not I, got, I heard Thad Jones used to sit down and just like trumpet one trumpet two Wow, <laughs> just just and it's like, man, that's that's you know, and, that, and that's you know, and if that's the case, I don't know if he does that all the time, but or, or did that all the time, but I mean that that's an example of linear thinking. You know, yeah, you're, you're, you're thinking of you know the the flow of it, and and and, and that also makes I know as a as a player, I I try to write my charts so that people will want to play them. Either you give everybody in the band something cool at least once to play. I used to do the same thing with like any orchestral or band stuff I would write. It's like, give the trombone something to play. Don't just send them back there in the orchestra with 8,000 mute changes and five notes. Mm, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, we're not an effect, people. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jim Mayer says, great stuff, very informative. Bobby Crosby, great percussionist uh, that I know from college. Great to see you enjoy this kind of chat about arranging one of my favorite things. Good to see you on here, Bobby. Will Taylor says, so it's really, wait, sorry. So it's really about to know the musicians too. I think he meant to know. Just like knowing what choral group can do well. Polychords, that's getting interesting. Theory, you got me all ears. More, more, more. <laughs> yeah, awesome. that's, well, that's what you know. Ellington used to write for his band. Yeah. Not, not for his band, like this is a group of musicians, but like he wrote for Juan. He wrote for, <laughs> like yeah. he wrote for the guys. And, uh, and, and even like I remember, um, I kind of liked it that uh, 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 Clint uh, sometimes would do this. Like when we were doing uh, some charts, I would see my my part would say Paul on it. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's like that's he, cool. He was writing like a bass drumone part that he knew it was like things that were part of my equipment range or something <laughs> or something yeah. I could do. Yeah. Uh, so the polychord thing, just a little advice. Hmm. Something I figured out. Like in music, if you you talking about the Jake. Jacob Collier, like the C and the A triad yeah. on top. It's like if you have something that's weak, two other things have to be strong. So the thing that's strong about that is the C to F, the fourth bass right. movement, and then two. One of the voices is constant, and the other two move by half step. So it's like mm -hmm. it's like a voice leading thing. So you have strong voice leading and strong uh, bass melody. Like are you talking right. about some of his bass notes are too random? I think the bass should be a melody too. Like, exactly, it should yeah. be like a you know like a, a line that you can you can sing as well. So like having a bass melody, and then the harmonic thing that exists on its own is a weak thing. It's not the triad is strong, right. but when you put the C in the bass, it makes it not strong. So that's your weakness. Right. And then the voice leading and the bass melody is what makes it strong. So when you're doing those polychords and experimenting with all that, if you just if you just keep that in mind. If I have something that's weak, so bass movements that move in fourth and fifths are strong or by half step, right? If they move in steps or thirds, it's not as strong, but it can it can function harmonically if you have two other things that are happening that are strong. Right. So, you know, that's just like how I think about it. Yeah, and just in general, when, uh, like, uh, uh, I think Stan Kessler and I were talking about this one time. Uh, we were talking about, I, I did this arrangement of The Shadow of Your Smile. Mm. Uh, and we play that uh, a lot down at uh, California. Bassie will sing it. And I reharmonized the the song, but I didn't like go all Jacob Collier with it. <laughs> I, I, I kept it pretty basic, just doing an occasional, like, like where I'm going like from a, F minor to a B flat seven to an E flat. I might have an F minor to a B minor E seven B flat seven. You know, just a little little minor side yeah. steps. You know, just kind of wandering down the path and going off into the bushes for a minute. And, mm. But you're staying on the path harmonically. Mm. And I think 
I think when you're reharmonizing something, as long, again, if, if you take the best interest of the, the source material to heart, uh, you know, you can go crazy with it. And one problem I've seen, too, with reharms is when people do too much too soon. It's kind of like eating your mm-hmm. dessert first. Uh, I, I did this chart on, what was it, um, In a Sentimental Mood. And all the way through the song, I always use the standard D minor, da, 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 you know, that, that, that bass line movement throughout the song, throughout the solo section. Then we get to the big shout chorus, which builds up to the A dominant chord, and the, then a whole band with the sax up on top. Da, 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 da. B, the yeah. B half diminished, yeah. B flat, yeah. sus 13, A kitchen sink chord, you know, just. Yeah. That's where you, like, you, you, I mean, I, when I started writing that tune, I knew I wanted to do that moment. Yeah. But it, I didn't, like, like, oh, let's do it right off, right off the bat. You know, and I hate that when, like, even just a combo does that. They got to use the alternate chords all the time. Like, they're doing an AABA song. Save the alternate chords to, you know, whatever tune you're doing for the last A. Not, not every single A. It's right. Like, you, you just get too much of it too soon. All right. Cool. So, that's a good, we've been going here for an hour, oh, man. Wow. We could talk about uh, arranging for an hour. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, this is Ask a Jazz Dude Show. Uh, you can find Paul on social media at KC Jazz Keys, right down there, or down there. Sorry. And, uh, yeah, you can uh, find me, of course, you guys know how to find me at Jazz Bonus. Uh, if you wanted an arrangement, contact Paul about uh, at kcjazzkeys at gmail.com. This has been Episode 3 of Ask a Jazz Dude. We'll see you. Thanks again. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, uh, in the next month or so, we're going to move the show over to the Ask a Jazz Dude page. So if you can take a second, just type in Ask a De- Jazz Dude, and the show will come up. And if you like that page, you'll get notified when we go live. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. See you soon.